call it an existential crisis. So a couple of nights ago, I'm on my way to the Regal Atlantic Station here in Atlanta. It's a press screening for Shazam! Fury of the Gods, the latest superhero blockbuster extravaganza. It's a sequel to a 2019 movie that I remember as being pretty solid, um, essentially based off of a DC Comics character that I had zero relation to, but functions kind of like a superhero version of Big, essentially. There is a teen, or I guess in this case, preteen boy who through a series of circumstances that probably isn't worth getting into, let's just say it involves a wizard, acquires the ability to morph into an adult superhero version of himself by simply uttering the word Shazam. Um, didn't really feel this needed a sequel, but, you know, I wasn't quite exactly you know, eyeing the first one either, and it wound up being a pretty good time. So I funnel into the auditorium, the movie theater, and it's one of those screenings where it's a handful of press people and critics, as well as a ton of other people, fanboys, fangirls, just gathered around in their Shazam t-shirts and their DC Comics attire waiting for the chance to see this movie a couple days before the rest of the world gets to see it. And the movie kicks off, and what I could only describe happens to me is a deep sinking feeling of boredom and indifference that I couldn't quite figure out whether it had to do with the actual movie itself or maybe just this moment we're in as a movie culture. And as I became more and more detached throughout the course of those two hours, my mind began to wander. What other movies were more willing of my time that I just hadn't gotten around to? Surely there must be something on the Criterion channel that I haven't dived into yet. Then I began thinking about what other movies coming out later this year I was just way more excited for. I'm reading a David Fincher book at the moment and couldn't help but wonder, would his new movie, The Killer, use the song I Need a Hero just as Shazam! Fury of the Gods did? And then my mind went to an even darker place, wondering of all the various locations on this planet that I haven't yet visited, should I walk out of the theater and just hop on the MARTA train and travel to the airport and hop on the first flight to Thailand? The thought half occurred to me. Was the movie really as bad as I thought? Or have I just become exhausted by the superhero industrial complex? This isn't the first comic book movie of the year, and it certainly won't be the last. But I wanted to bring someone on the podcast to help me walk through these feelings. and Specifically walk through this, this detached headspace I found myself in throughout the two hours or whatever it was of Shazam! Fury of the Gods. So it's part review, part existential crisis, as I said, but really it's a conversation about what do we want from these movies anymore? And what is the future of these movies? If Hollywood is going to continue making more of these couple hundred million dollar blockbuster extravaganzas based on comic book properties, where do they need to go from now? Because I, I, if they're all going to be like this, then maybe I'm kind of 
done and maybe I need to do something else. All right, so I have on the other line Gabe Lampalambella. Gabe, thank you for um, drawing the short straw, I guess, to to walk walk me through this this therapy session, this existential crisis, this whatever I'm going through um, that we we need to explore on on this episode relating to uh, my my experience seeing Shazam: Fury of the Gods the other night. I I think probably a a good place to start is just like what what are your feelings on the the movie because the the poor listeners have already heard my sort of cry into the into the night about what about what i thought about it you know jesse i just want to say i'm grateful to be on the other line to walk you through this therapy session um we can go through this post-traumatic stress disorder of a conversation as quickly as possible but um, I will preface this where I really enjoyed the first Shazam. I think it definitely has that old school Spielberg, John Hughesian sensibility, um, mainly with Jack Dylan Grazier. And in that case, I was actually looking forward to this sequel, especially being a DC fan and kind of knowing the ins and outs of the new heads of DC, what their plans might be, and how this could connect into that future. Um, the movie's fine. It's it's. Shazam has always been a tough character to adapt in a proper way because he's essentially another Superman. But the twist is he's a Superman who has the mentality of a teenager. And that's a clever idea. And it would work for me if we had several stronger things. Stronger villains. A more cohesive and consistent plot. And less moping around of teenage Billy Batson. Yeah, I think to kind of piggyback off of your points, um, I mean, the the teenage Billy Batson aspect of this movie is funny because there's barely any of him. And the one of the more humorous comments that I've seen other people make that I totally agree with is, unlike the first movie, there's a real disconnect between the performance that that actor, who I, I regrettably cannot remember his name off the top of my head, but... Asher Angel. Okay, thank you. Um, with what he's giving and what Zachary Levi is doing of just sort of like Zachary Levi seems to be playing like someone who's like 12 and is like very, very much more kind of like cocky and slightly like naive and is, you know, is throwing in all of this kind of like Gen Z or slang and stuff. And then, you know, when that, when Billy Batson is a teenager, it's this very like mopey, serious kind of grounded performance. And it feels like two totally different people. Although most of the movie, it is just Zachary Levi in that, you know, in, in, yes. in adult Shazam form, um, which I I thought was a curious decision for all the kid characters of most of them are all in their sort of adult superhero forms so to speak throughout most of the movie and maybe like one of the things that uh <laughs> was evident to me kind of walking out is and 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 I'm with you like I thought the first I would not say I loved the first one but I thought it was like a pretty charming movie it's you know it's it's big essentially like it's, exactly it's a, and it's the a, stakes are relatively smaller 
Yeah. And it's not an end of the world event. I'm so sick of these superhero movies that have post-apocalyptic stakes. Mm. There are only so many times we can save the world. And like you said, I'm happy you brought up the point about Asher Angel and Zachary Levi. Um, That's my overarching problem with this whole movie is Mm -hmm. those performances feel like two entirely different wavelengths. Mm -hmm. Whereas you have people like Jack Dylan Grazier and Adam Brody who actually seem like one in the same. Yeah. And Jack Dylan Grazier, I think (laughs) the, the one bit in this movie that like, actually, I think it, it briefly sparks is like the scenes of him and Rachel Zegler together where I'm sort of like, Oh, here are like two very charming like teen actors. I mean, I think Rachel Zegler is like twenty now, but you you get you get the point. Here are two like very oh, yeah. charming, charismatic that like I would just watch. You mentioning the John Hughes comparison, like I would just watch a teen rom com with like the two of them, or like a teen screwball comedy with those two people. Um, and and was almost just sort of like, I don't know, can I just get that instead? Because that's the only part of this movie that's really gelling for me. Um. Uh, but the the other bit, bit I was sort of getting at with like the Zachary Levi and the the kids all being in their adult super uh, hero forms, kind of realize how at least for me annoying like adults acting like children are for like two hours <laughs> essentially. <Yes. laughs> um, you know, and I say that as someone who like loves Will Ferrell movies and 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 th- oh, yeah. there is there's there's a hypocrisy to all of this, but I think watching five or six performances over the course of two hours where it was basically like i'm someone in my like late 30s but i'm playing someone who is eight and i have to act and have all the you know emotions and body language of an eight-year-old that can be funny in small doses as i think is the first shazam or big which we mentioned which is probably like the best example of that but i don't know at a certain point this just became kind of like a little bit grading to not, not even a little bit a lot grading to me and i just had this like full-on existential crisis watching this movie of like what am i even doing what is like the point of this anymore well see it's tough because the uh, the thing that works so well about the first shazam is we're given enough of those adult personas in spades towards the third act to where it never becomes grading and you kind of hitting the nail on the point of that existential crisis there's only so many jokes you can have these adult versions attempt to pull off. And I would argue and say that those, their adult counterparts get more to do than the kids in the movie. Um, besides a blatant product placement, the third act that I'm not going to spoil. That, that um, really made me sink in my seat, especially because I don't know about the audience. You saw it with the audience. I saw it with eight that up every time that that product placement appeared in the movie they were cheering and laughing as though it was the funniest thing they'd ever seen so now let's get one th- one thing i want to clear off the bat so you saw the film at a press screening or a public screen correct it, it was it was a combination of press and people who you know got a free movie for the night to be okay. able to sort of fill out the room so see i saw it at a thursday night opening night showing Um, And that theater was near empty. Mm. So you need to take into account as well, you know, I I know in our conversation today, we're going to get in the broader implications of superhero culture. The marketing for this has been really hit or miss and hasn't necessarily had the push of something like, and this is a big leap in comparisons, 
like a Matt Reeves, the Batman, or even something like James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, which didn't do great box office numbers, but met a really great response from critics and audiences. So there's part of me after seeing the film, wondering if there WB was kind of using this as a last rites burial for the past DC. And I would, with some of the reports we've kind of mentioned from filmmakers and cast saying they just needed it for a paycheck. It seems like that's the truer statement here. Um, But I will say there are pieces of this that work really, really well. Like you mentioned uh, Rachel Zegler and Jack Dylan Grazier. Those moments have a real electricity to them that the rest of the movie's missing. And even in the action sequences, there's this kind of bland sameness to how everybody moves and how everybody navigates and fights, where it's either punch, 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 or CGI flying. And I think audiences are a lot smarter than that nowadays and are looking for something more. Um, And the heart of that first Shazam seems like it's been replaced with corny jokes over genuine substance. Yeah, I think you bring up three interesting questions to kind of that I want to ask you as we sort of broaden this this conversation. I think the first is, you know, I'm you talking about the marketing of this movie. I'm curious how much you think this the sort of awkward marketing or the perceived lack of marketing has to do with this recent sea change at Warner Brothers within DC. Obviously, James Gunn has kind of taken over. This is from a different regime's uh, strategy of that property. Um, and now James Gunn has been sort of very upfront about the, you know, what his plans are with these characters, saying some stuff like might not even come back, like all the kerfuffle over like. <laughs> is for how much chess beating Dwayne Johnson did about Black Adam last year. Is Black Adam actually going to get a sequel? Um, and, and you know, there's, there seems to be, uh, you know, I know none of this sort of officially confirmed because I've not seen any of these movies, but there seems to be a lot of internal hype about Warner Brothers and everyone at DC seems very confident about the Flash movie coming out. But also there's been counter to that some kind of, rumors through the ether that maybe the uh upcoming aquaman sequel is something they're a bit worried about and and are being a, a bit sort of closed lip on in sort of these big conferences and stuff i'm i'm curious how much you think sort of the rollout of this movie has to do with it being caught in sort of this awkward middle between these sort of two regimes kind of taking over this big property at warner brothers so it's it's funny you bring that up. I'm going to take things back a step further. Initially, Shazam was supposed to be released pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. It was meant to be this kind of jumping off point for films like Aquaman, as you mentioned, or even something, I don't know, like The Flash. And James Gunn has been very talkative about Shazam residing in its own corner of this universe But you can't help but wonder with certain Easter eggs in the film that they were hoping this would connect to the broader scheme of things. Um, And, you know, as anyone listening to this may know, if you're seeing a superhero film, you're going to have to sit through all those credits. And I didn't. I love. Oh, okay. You, <laughs> someone you someone explained okay. it, it to me last night at drinks, and I was like, I feel pretty fine that I did not stick around to that because I would not have understood what that was. So, so. <laughs> What I can say as far as that goes is 
the only intriguing element of theory of the gods that really impressed me was what they were potentially teasing in those closing credits. Um, because as a comic book fan, and again, I'm avoiding spoilers here because you can get into a whole diatribe about what those may mean, but it at least shows that Gunn and Peter Safran have a semblance of an idea, but it feels like their idea was tacked on to the end of this okay teeny bopper superhero movie. And, you know, the real travesty is you have actors like Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu who are having fun in these roles, but I wouldn't say they're given anything really to do. It's essentially villainous rants about how they're going to take over the world. I'd I'd argue they did not seem like they were. Ha- they they seemed like they were striding into this movie to me with the energy of, well, at least I get to pay off the new deck on my Malibu home. That that seemed to be the energy. But two other things I wanted you you sort of mentioned earlier that I wanted to bring up. You bring up the action sequences and you bringing up kind of the cheeky sort of self-referential tone that this movie has and all yes. the, the quips and jokes Let, let's first tackle that because i think that's something that i'm sort of thinking macro about these last 10 plus years the sort of superhero comic book boom that we've been in at the movies if we want to say it really you know you obviously have like the Superman stuff in the eighties and Batman stuff in the nineties. And in the two thousands, you get, you know, some Marvel characters like Spider-Man and X-Men. But I I think for most people, it really sort of kicks off with in 2008 with Iron Man and dark Knight, both coming out in the same year and establishing these two very different tones for what superhero movies can be. And then for me, I feel like, you know, because Hollywood takes a couple of years to sort of, get projects in development and reaction to stuff. 2011 is around when that full wave like really kicks off and you have like five or six superhero movies all coming out in a year. And I think there was something kind of in those early days, you know, thinking about Iron Man and the kind of success and excitement of that movie when that came out. There was something fun about the idea of one of these comic book movies that could be more comedic can sort of have these chatty characters that are sort of commenting on what is going on the absurdity of what's going on that's sort of become the marvel blueprint and marvel sort of house tone you know these marvel movies have are 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 essentially closer to something like a nbc sitcom at this point than they are necessarily like tim burton's batman or something like that and I don't know. I like you. I sort of found that a little exhausting in this movie and it's nothing new to this movie either. I would say I had a very similar experience when I went and saw Thor Love and Thunder. Is that the name of the one from the second Taika Waititi Thor movie from last year in which I kind of came out of the theater like, can we not just take a beat? and 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 live in sort of the the stakes or the tragedy of some of these moments without it needing to be undercut by a joke at every moment do you i think this is something for us to explore with kind of i think a strategy people have taken from the marvel path is make this stuff way more funnier make it way more self-referential deadpool and the the ryan reynolds of it all being maybe like the ultimate example of this kind of like 
in my opinion, like fully becoming like the snake eating its tail, sort of, so to speak. Absolutely. But yeah. I'm I'm curious what you think about that tone and whether you feel that is sort of been oversaturated in these movies and is maybe something that is kind of like wearing thin a little bit. Well, you know, it's it's funny you kind of bring up that jokey tone because if anybody who looks up any Marvel universe or basically superhero news there's this fatigue with the the middle school humor of these movies. And, you know, to say what you will about the previous regime at DC, they were at least in, attempting to kind of inject a darker sensibility into things that I think Marvel so desperately needs right now um, because the audience is getting tired. I mean, Avengers Endgame was, was a landmark for this sort of thing, and, and it was the end of a lot of people's time in this universe. Um, you know, it's speaking in regards to Shazam, I think we hit the nail on the head pretty well in saying this is a film mostly from the previous regime, but had a few of those James Gunn touches over the closing credits and things. The thing that is intriguing me more about the DC landscape is we're starting over and we have somebody who at least from what you see on social media, which can be true or not has a, a love for the obscurity over just selling items to kids. And if you look back at some of the slate of characters that he's bringing to the big screen, and I mean, I could get into the obscure comic books like Swamp Thing or The Authority, those don't quite have the mainstream appeal now that something like an Iron Man does or a Captain America. And if Marvel ever wants to kind of reinvigorate the love of a fandom, I feel like they need to get more into that obscure corner to at least keep things interesting for the folks who are going to see those films every opening weekend. Um, and the problem with Shazam is that it seems like a relatively safe bet in this universe. It's not necessarily, there was nothing in it I hated per se, but there's nothing in it that shows what this genre could be so I'm, I'm curious with you bringing up the the sort of obscurity aspect of of some of these comic universes do you think that we're sort of moving towards this more niche zone with this stuff where you you kind of mentioning like even even in the marvel stuff it it feels like you know they're digging into a maybe like deeper corner of the the toy chest to sort of find right. new characters to introduce and maybe you know i'm sure eventually they will you know find a way of like reboot iron man or you know i mean they have anthony, oh, anthony mackie is stepping in as a new captain america but you know do do you get the sense that maybe because some of these cinematic comic book universes some of these properties that these studios have are having to reach into more obscure characters that maybe there's a maybe we're moving into a point where this doesn't become kind of the center of the the movie landscape because they aren't dealing with as many quote like iconic characters and it becomes something that is more for specific fans of these comics and it isn't necessarily the the dominant thing at the box office if that makes sense is that is that kind of a, a sense that you think we're gonna like we're moving into that zone a little bit i i think that's where we're going and it particularly in the case of dc 
you definitely feel the hope of these obscure characters getting the mainstream appeal. Um, and to anyone, you know, who's interested in learning more about them, I would say definitely start with any subscription to, you know, the DC Universe comic website, because um, they will give you a very thorough deep dive of James Gunn's specific plan. If we can recater this genre to be more towards the diehard fans, I think that's where its second life will be. Um, I feel like the time of the mainstream superhero movies that everyone rushes out to see on Thursday night is long past. I still beat the drum of saying with Avengers Endgame, that was the the closing of the chapter, so to speak. Because um, I don't know about you, but I can speak to many many of folks and many of the casual film fans who aren't like us and see everything where after Endgame they stepped out they were done they got the story they wanted and haven't looked back since and even it seems among you know just talking about people at my office who maybe go see like two or three movies a year like the the opinion on the most recent slate of Marvel stuff has been you know we've lambasted about it on this podcast before has been disappointing um and people kind of feeling like there's sort of been a dip in quality in those movies and i want and and even though they've been hits i would not say they've been as big of hits as before like the most recent ant-man movie had a really big opening weekend but then really dipped its its second weekend and it seems this Shazam movie, you know, we're recording this on a Sunday morning. It seems like thus far has been underperforming at the box office and is probably not doing well opening weekend. You know, I don't want to spend too much on kind of like, you know, a movie's total box office revenue all depends on like opening weekend and stuff like that. Cause that's, that's absurd. And we've seen stuff, you know, oh yeah, li- live on, but it, it does. Do you also get the sense? Cause it seems to me like there's even a lessening interest in this stuff from a financial standpoint and i think to the niche point that you brought up i'm curious if you think that gets to a point like these movies cost a lot and from a sort of like capitalism standpoint you to invest in how expensive some of these comic book movies are to make you know you need them to appeal to the the widest broadest audience possible you know hit every demographic not just here in the states but be like sellable over in china and stuff to to justify the hundreds of millions of dollars it costs to just put on one of these productions and if this is moving in a space where it's a little bit more niche like i don't know do do you think that those two things sort of begin to cancel each other out where like if the if the audience isn't as large there is a studio like Warner Brothers or Disney willing to in, invent, write as many big checks for these movies um, as they would before? Or do we maybe see fewer and fewer of them and a more strategic uh, plan as to, you know, what characters are we going to invest $200 million in a movie right. for versus maybe what gets like a lower budget streaming show or something like that even though it also seems like you know the streaming world is kind of falling apart a little bit as well i know i just threw a lot at you but it's the thing that that really stuck out to me is like yes that maybe is cool if we're moving into like a smaller neat like i don't think there's a huge like (laughs) 
billion dollar audience for like a swamp thing movie like that's no. that's a pretty obscure like weird comic from like i'm kind of familiar with that comic series yeah, from like reading alan moore stuff as a teenager but like i also knowing that like a movie like shazam like they're investing millions of upon millions of dollars into that movie's success on the belief that like this is the kind of thing that is appealing to a broad enough demographic but maybe if the demographic is shrinking does a studio like warner brothers want to invest 200 million i don't even know if that's how much this movie costs but you you know you get the point like 200 yeah, million dollars in a new comic book movie if that's not going to be the thing to sort of get a billion dollars at the box office anymore well i for the first point i want to bring up is let's break this down between marvel disney and warner brothers mm -hmm. marvel and disney have had a years-long success and they did this they did the universe building in the right way it got the audiences excited and we even had the epic conclusion to tie things up now their plans aren't as clear and fans are a bit concerned with the murkiness of where we're going whereas dc has gotten the rare occasion to get a reset and in that regard, I still think the audience who grew up on those DC characters and comics is there. So I, I would say for Warner Brothers, they're in a safer place from an audience standpoint because they've managed to keep the conversation going for as long as they've had. I think Marvel is on the other end of that spectrum and isn't quite able to keep the momentum they once did. And I mean, you know, you bring up Ant-Man and the Lost Quantumania. I think that's a prime example because it had a great first opening weekend and then a drop off of one of the largest open or largest or lowest second weekends of the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I would say if I had to give the upper hand to one or the other, DC is definitely in a better position. Um, now, granted, we say this and as you mentioned we're recording on Sunday, the weekend Shazam opened, and it's projected to gross maybe 30 million, and that's a low ball estimate. The thing that I feel like is keeping the conversation going all resides in James Gunn. And he has been passionate enough as both a creator and a fan to explain or at least give us a tidbit of what he's working on. And niche comic book fans or not, I would argue, look at something like he did over at Marvel with the Guardians of the Galaxy. That was a niche comic that nobody knew before the 2014 film. And those caught on like a wildfire. So if he gets the right creatives involved behind the camera, I think there's a real chance to see this, this kind of niche resurgence that is attempting to draw more people in. Um, but I mean, then there's the whole other discussion of the article Ben Affleck did. I want to say for Vanity Fair, where I think it was Hollywood Reporter, but like amazing, amazing interview, like one of the best like celebrity interviews of just like how candid he is about yes a million different things beyond even what I think you're about to mention is. I just have to Correct. encourage people to go read that. P yes, please, please, please read it if you want to get a great idea of how this culture has really gr been a degrading piece for Hollywood actors who want to attempt to make things original, but the market just isn't there for that. Um, but I guess the point I'm trying to make is there is still so much potential on the Warner Brothers side 
that I feel like they almost need need to clear clear the dumpster, so to speak, with some of their previous regime projects like Shazam or Aquaman and wipe the slate clean before we can get the new creatives approach. Like I would say, if nobody has read <coughs> Jeff John's Superman legacy comic book, that is such a completely different angle than anything we've seen in the cinematic DC universe. And with James Gunn recently announced to write and direct the project, there are so much room for DC to pass Marvel now, especially with Marvel not having a plan per se as strong as something like DC has. So I would say in the moment, it's not looking good, but if they play their cards right, they can get the audience they lost all those years ago with the dark and gritty three-hour Snyder slog fests. Yeah, because I think that's the other interesting bit to, the, you know, in thinking about the waves of what people want from these movies, and maybe this is a way to kind of turn us into a conversation about what what you think the future of this genre is on screen. Um, it, it's interesting bringing up the whole Snyder thing, because look, that was like five or six years ago at, at this point, yep. and, and around this time that that stuff was coming out, you know... I mean, I was among the people that was just like, I, th- these are slogs, like, and they're so self serious, and the bleakness of the that as a strategy to like, okay, if the Marvel tone is like super jokey, let's go in the total opposite direction. And it felt like there was sort of a rejection from general movie fans of like, why is a movie with Batman and Superman? this oppressively bleak and unfun to watch. Um, And then, you know, now we've reached this point where, you know, at that time people wanted things super jokey and enjoyed the Marvel tone more. And now it seems like people are kind of getting a little like irritated by like the, Oh, do what do I need like every action movie I go see to have quips and jokes in it? It, Because it feels like that has permeated the entire action landscape i think that's something last year with like the success of top gun or even avatar for instance that i remember telling people like i think that's what people find refreshing about those movies is they're very earnest and like they're not dark but they're like they're kind of schmaltzy in a in a in a very endearing way um an endearing and very old-fashioned way yes um and so i'm i'm curious with sort of these waves of what people want from these movies um you know i'm just looking at what other comic book movies we have coming out this year obviously we already had the ant-man movie and the shazam movie there is a third guardians of the galaxy movie that is coming out in may probably the one that i'm most excited for is the spider-man spider-verse sequel um there's the flash movie which i mean speaking of of Top Gun, Tom Cruise was has allegedly seen and is sort of now beating his chest for, and and is part of the hype machine for that. There is a Captain Marvel sequel, The Marvels. Uh, there is a Blue Beetle movie. I don't have no idea what that is. Um, <laughs> there is Sony continuing with its Spider Man stuff. Is doing a Craven the Hunter, which is a pretty cool Spider Man character, but I don't quite understand if that's like going to be a spider a, like a sneak spider-man movie or if that is just i i can't imagine that being that interesting with just that character because i feel like that character 
that character is interesting in the Spider-Man arc that that character is in as someone who Correct. read a lot of Spider-Man as, as a kid. And then there is the Aquaman sequel, which did, did that get pushed back? I'm, I'm even losing track of like, <laughs> of like, is all this stuff coming out this year? But there, there is an Aquaman sequel in the works apparently, or, or so, that is coming out at some point in the future. So from my understanding and kind of following the past news, when the Flash had its last major release date push, it was an entire push for DC content. So that included a push for, or uh, excuse me, Aquaman, the same push for Shazam, so on and so forth. Um, you know, you, you bring up all these different superhero IP properties, and the one thing I noticed is, besides Spider-Verse, which I consider its own kind of corner of this entire landscape. Mm-hmm. There's so many sequels to previously seen characters, which is fine, but I feel like this genre, if it wants to keep going, needs that jolt of originality or just something new, because we've seen it all before, and audiences have seen it before, and not to keep harping on the opening weekend of Shazam or Ant-Man, but people are tired of getting the same thing spoon-fed to them in different variations. And this genre, and as somebody who's deeply followed the comic book lore of many of these characters, there is a repetitiveness and there is a sameness to where all of these movies and shows can kind of start blending together after a while. That's why last year I really beat the drum for James Gunn's Peacemaker series, because that at least approached the genre in a different perspective than I feel like audiences had seen before. And it gave us a great performance from John Cena who was essentially in on the joke of the show he was making. And if you can get more people in front of and behind the camera who understand the audience, I think we're in a, we're going to be in a really good place. I mean, you mentioned Black Adam earlier. And for all of those people who don't know, Black Adam and Shazam had a very interconnected comic book history. I mean, deep, deep, deep appeared in each other's issues for years and years. And it's this question of as well, can the filmmakers get creatives and talent involved who won't take over the situation? Now, you know, I'm pointing fingers at the rock here over Zachary Levi, but until we can get everybody on the same page creatively, I think we're still going to run into these sorts of issues. And I mean, even the Marvel stars now have kind of come out with this understandable frustration for where the genre is going. Um, I don't know if you saw Mark Ruffalo's article where he kind of mentioned, hey, if Warner Brothers or James Gunn or that crew has something my way, I'd be tempted not to take a look because they're in a better position than Marvel is now. Marvel mm-hmm. has built the conglomerate and has the audience. DC, I beat the drum of this again, has gotten a chance for their reset. And now with Gunn kind of mentioning his gods and monsters slate of movies with only a few titles that we know of, there's a real curiosity there in the audience base who couldn't stand these movies at a certain point. So it's, it's one of those things where all his, most of his cards are out on the table. It's how audiences respond to them. And from what I've seen in the comic book world, people are really into that idea. But like you, and we kind of mentioned with the Shazam marketing, at the end of the day, it's another case of how these are going to be delivered to mainstream audiences in their marketing so we can do a lot of speculating right now 
No one will know for sure, I think, until we get the first of this new slate. But the potential is just so ripe at the moment that I would be remiss not to say that I'm not intrigued and that I, I don't that I think audiences should be intrigued, too, because there's very interesting things going on. I think, you know, you bringing up the I want to kind of tie a couple things you you mentioned. Yeah. Different conversations together. I know you mentioned in talking about the Shazam movie sort of being exhausted by the familiarity of some of the action set pieces. You know, it really reminded me of <laughs> to flashback 10 years ago when I went and saw a uh, man of steel and being kind of <laughs> bored by the action scenes, which just sort of seemed like Superman punches someone into a building building falls out, falls down. That person flies out, punches Superman into another building building fl- falls down um and the, so many of the kind of big whiz bang sort of razzle dazzle bits of Shazam all feeling kind of tired and feeling like I've seen this in like 800 movies at this point um I mean that's an exaggeration but it feels that way and then oh, you no, mentioning you mentioning Spider-Verse which I think the excitement of that look Spider-Man is a very 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 popular character and there, there is no shortage of Spider-Man movies and people who have played Spider-Man. But I maybe want to push us into now asking you what, what is some sort of unexplored territories for even familiar characters or characters people might not be familiar with that you think are kind of untapped resources? Because I think the excitement around the Spider-Verse movies is taking this very, very familiar character but the style and aesthetic of that movie is something totally different than what people were used to seeing in a comic book movie and saying, okay, we can do an animated movie. It's self self referential, but not in the sort of winking jokey way that necessarily all the Marvel movies are, but you know, is, is taking almost this um, Grant Morrison, Batman approach to, spider-man of saying it's all canon and we can you know incorporate the entire history of this character into this one kind of uh postmodern collage whiz bang pop art animated movie and that felt like something fresh and interesting and and sort of exploring what could be done with the sort of comic book art in an animated movie and what stuff and what kind of visuals you could do that you couldn't do in a live action movie versus also you know spider-man is a character that like everyone knows at this point so how can we use the sort of audience's built-in knowledge of this character and kind of play with that in a movie um and i think that's what makes that maybe of the the comic book properties that are coming out in the next year or so maybe why that sequel seems the most exciting to me is because that just feels like the freshest idea just from an aesthetic standpoint that someone has on one of these characters i'm curious what other characters that you think this is a wholly other untapped aspect of this character that they could do or here is maybe another more obscure character that i feel like is great and Hollywood has just not tapped into doing it yet. So I'm, I'm glad you brought this up. Um, if, if for those who didn't know, I would highly encourage and excuse my shameless self-promotion here. 
please go on over to MovieWeb and look up an article in regards to how the authority should connect to the DC cinematic universe. Um, the authority is one of the best comic book series I had ever read. And to this day, I'm thrilled James Gunn is finally tapping into that for the universe because you kind of mentioned what, what can be the thing to draw audiences in. And my short answer is give us the obscure characters, but allow kind of the more well-known titles to make an appearance. Now, the tricky thing on the Marvel side is that they have already tapped into so many different angles and have so many different films coming. It's hard to wonder where else they could go. Whereas again, to beat the drum for what I think James Gunn is doing as being rather effective, is he is essentially wiping the slate clean and giving us the obscure characters before we get to the fan favorites. And in a way, I feel like that's been a smart, is a smarter plan from the get-go because he's allowing audiences to get weird before he gives us what he knows will be settlers, before a new Batman, before a new Superman. We're tapping into the Swamp Things, the Booster Golds of the world, another character that could definitely fit well in the James Gunn ethos and canon. But I think if, if Gunn is really leans into this more obscurity that DC Comics can, has in its history, there's potential for once audiences get to know those characters, how he connects those back to the mainstream heroes audiences love. Whereas with Marvel, the old regime has kind of been removed from the conversation. We're an entirely new slate of characters and then some previous characters who audiences don't love yet, like Brie Larson's Captain Marvel. So it's hard to know for them compared to DC. Yeah, and I, I, I think just thinking about, you know, myself and 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 what what would get me back excited in some of these movies. I mean, I've said like the the untapped resource that Marvel seems to be sitting on is is the X-Men of like I don't think yes. any of the Fox X-Men movies have have fully encapsulated the the potential of that very rich comic history. Um and so like I I feel like as I begin to sort of get less and less interested in the MCU that is sort of the one potential thing that can pull me back in because that seems to be the you know the the untapped oil reservoir of 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 great characters and and history they can pull from you know and even like I've not been as big of a, a DC I mean I I don't have as much knowledge about either the the MCU or DCEU it's more sort of individual characters within those but even I was just thinking of kind of what I said about Spider-Verse in regard to two very iconic DC characters like Superman and Batman I think it's been a really long time since there was a great Superman movie I think I did not really gel with Zack Snyder's interpretation on Superman no. um Me neither. and I and you know thinking about something like you know, I'm thinking of two Grant Morrison runs, like something like his all-star Superman run, or, you know, in terms of, I enjoyed the Batman movie last year, but maybe like the one negative thing I would throw at it would be, oh, okay, it's another like very well-made, but it's it's the grim, serious Batman movie that, you know, we've been getting since right. the, Nol the Nol since Christopher Nolan, and almost wondering those are two very very iconic characters that 
there is a large general public knowledge of and whether or not whether it's live action whether it's animation you could do something like spider-verse um you know batman i think like the best example of this is like the grant morrison batman run in which it just sort of says like everything you've ever known about batman every every obscure batman comic every batman movie like it's all canon and it's all part of the history of this character and building out something more fantastical and unusual and sort of surreal out of that and making it this sort of like big epic soap opera essentially and i think those are two interesting i think takes on both of those very iconic characters that i would love to see someone do is sort of say like and that that's kind of what all-star superman is it's like we're gonna right. in, take in the whole history of superman um as part of this story and do a movie that is sort of thinking about those characters in a larger kind of pop cultural sense as opposed to you know trying to reboot it with a different actor but under sort of the same tone or same sort of story structure that we've seen in so many of these movies like i i would like to see something like that for a very iconic character that is an almost unpacking postmodern look at what does this character mean in our popular culture that to me would be really interesting whether or not someone could tackle that in like a live action movie i don't know i mean i feel like some of the crazy stuff you would need to do in an animated movie but i i i almost feel like that is what i'm waiting for in some of these these is is a movie to sort of interrogate why is this character important to our popular culture in terms of some of these bigger ones or or stuff like x-men which is a very very well-known property but i don't think anyone has fully captured the the greatness of that comic book on screen in a movie i would i, I love that you brought up the all-star superman run and the grant morrison batman run um because i think that though both of those issues hit the nail on the head of what you can do with existentialism and superhero properties um essentially if for those who haven't read those it, comics um, they are existential crises that Superman and Batman face. And, you know, again, referring to the Zack Snyder regime, he always emphasized that these characters were meant to be higher beings, even somebody like Batman as a mortal. And you can do that, but they're not going to be as meaningful unless you get to know the man behind the persona. And it seems like Gunn is really stripping away that God mentality and humanizing them. Um, I would say, especially with Batman Brave and the Bold, there's this almost familial bond that Bruce Wayne builds that we haven't seen on screen, at least in a mature way. I mean, you can go back and say, heck, even the Adam West Batman had something along those lines. But for something new for audiences, I think starting and adapting from those comic books can be really interesting and something like all-star superman which is essentially 12 issues of superman's existential crisis is a new angle for that character instead of somebody figuring out his place he knows his place in the world but he doesn't know how to maintain it and whereas something like marvel has already explored that narrative ground i mean look at the entire arc say what you will about the movies of Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark. 
he had the highs and lows that DC is just about to tap into. So in terms of Marvel, I don't know if I can fully say for characterization where else they could go. Because I feel like the ground they've covered is essentially the core principles of comic books. Whereas DC has yet to tap into that territory. And that's why still, as much as I'm a fan of both, I've, I've told people to be more adamant and follow this DC news. Because I think you can get some really interesting stuff, especially with, you know, again, Superman Legacy being adapted from All-Star Superman. That pays homage to, heck, even the Christopher Reeve Superman movies and Batman Brave and the Bold and maybe The Flash to some extent with the return of Michael Keaton's Batman that can kind of be a tribute to the past, whereas Marvel is is still growing. They don't necessarily have the same past history that a DC does, and I think if if DC can reinvigorate the love for what came before they're going to have their angle and they're going to have this this ability to i won't say surpass marvel but finally be the competitors they've wanted to be this entire time and that's really exciting as somebody who's followed the lore read the comic books that's really exciting for me and something i've wanted to see for years now but it all starts with fans being willing to move on from the past well, I think that that kind of wraps us up for for this week. Uh, one thing I did want to mention: um, we sadly a couple days ago lost uh, actor Lance Reddick. Uh, yes, I think a terrific character actor. Um, very, I, I, you know, it was almost surreal, like seeing the news that um, he had passed because it was literally, I think, the day or maybe two days after I saw the new John Wick movie. Um, Same here. Yeah, which I I think, you know, just I I no spoilers to that movie, but like considering everything in that movie, it just made his, his passing all the more surreal about what his placement is in the new John Wick movie, which um side note, I I'm really excited to talk about. I had like a really fantastic time watching. Me too. Um, it was a blast. But yeah, it's I mean just one of those people that like if you see him in something um i mean i obviously like think about him most in the wire um and but you know was on fringe and i just had such a great long career and was one of those people that like if if you see him in something you're just like i'm in good hands like this this guy just has a commanding presence about him and is just sort of consistently great in everything um and so it'll it'll be sad not to see him pop up in in stuff anymore because he he really was one of those people that like if he would pop up in a tv show or a movie or people you know even sharing that like eric andre sketch show appearance that he was on just being like someone who was just always able to meet the material he was in and was just such a confident presence in whatever you were watching. And that, that was sort of comforting to see and always like exciting to see him pop up in something. Absolutely. He was one of those character actors who was a chameleon Mm -hmm. and each time he managed to allow an audience to take notice of what he was able to do on screen. I mean, look at, again, you brought up the John Wick series. Look at what he was able to do with such a minimal role and make Mm -hmm. a character that audiences did fall in love with to an extent 
Um, and by the way, I'm right there with you on John Wick Chapter 4. It's a delight. That's yes. all I'll say for now. Right, <laughs> right. Yes. Um, a couple other like bits of, of small news. Um, I'm sure you've been following the rumors surrounding Quentin Tarantino's new movie that I guess are not true apparently like this was going to be something I was going to build a segment out of and then like a bunch of people like Sean Finnessy at the ringer or uh Brian Koppelman who's like a friend of Tarantino's basically have come out being like um I know what this movie's about and like all the reporting is kind of wrong so I don't really know where that puts us but it was funny just like looking on Twitter for like two days and people like throwing out these hilarious hypotheticals about what his like revisionist Pauline Kale movie would be assuming that's what it was. <laughs> I mean, listen, I'm intrigued. Say what you will with Tarantino. If the movie critic is his swan song or if a variation of that is his swan song, mm -hmm. my butt's going to be in the seat day one. Yeah. Plain and simple. Um, and then what are your thoughts on the, the Nancy Myers news, which is the other kind of hilarious <sighs> kind of just wild bit of of movie news that i've been consuming is essentially nancy myers the you know who's you know one of the few female directors to have movies that make over 100 million dollars at the box office um done such romantic comedies as uh you know the parent trap with with lindsay lohan um something's got to give the the holiday you know she's kind of like the rom-com david fincher is sort of what her reputation is is like <laughs> someone who like has a vision and is going to you know i i need the the money and the the time to achieve my my vision and just in the way that like david fincher will do like a hundred takes to get you know find what he wants like nancy myers will be like we need to stop everything because like this sweater is like not gelling with the aesthetics of the, the kitchen in this scene or something like that, which go, go off. You know what? If we can applaud David Fincher for his meticulousness, like I think it's sexist that we like lambast Nancy Myers for, for her meticulousness, but you know, ha was allegedly planning this new movie that for Netflix that had uh, Michael Fassbender and Penelope Cruz and Owen Wilson and Scarlett Johansson. That's who the fourth person was. Um, yep. And basically sounds like it was a meta story about, um, you know, her relationship with her ex-husband as screenwriters in Hollywood. And it fell apart because she wanted a bigger budget than what Netflix was going to give. And it was like, as soon as this Nancy Myers movie was, was, getting going and it looked like netflix might actually have a genuinely good rom-com in their belt it fell apart and i guess now the current state is warner brothers might come in and sweep sweep it up the project which would be more exciting i don't know uh are are where are you in in this uh in this ongoing saga of like can nancy myers get enough money to just make this rom-com <laughs> well i mean the thing you've got to look at too is we can have a whole conversation about Netflix's budgeting and, and how they release their movies. Um, look at something like their We Have a Ghost by Christopher Landon from a couple weeks ago. Um, is that a movie that really exists? It really is exists. Is that a real movie? Or are we? Have you seen this? Have you confirmed that it's not I a have, tax write-off for someone? I, I can confirm that it might have been a tax write-off for Anthony Mackie, but that's all I know at okay. this time. 
it's um, not a thing like I click the you know we were joking about this last week with the Adam Driver dinosaur movie of like is that just a thing where you show up to the 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 theater and someone from the studio is there like you got us here's a here's a free movie gift card it's not real I'm sorry <laughs> like again, is it, you click the some- Netflix button and they're like you got us it's not real sorry <laughs> and as somebody who saw the Adam Driver movie still not convinced it was a real movie but again okay. <laughs> another discussion for another day um. No, I I think it's sad that a studio like Netflix, especially in the climate, you know, where it's this Oscar nominated releasing projects on a weekly basis studio isn't willing to give somebody like Nancy Myers the chance with that cast appeal. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure that let's say anywhere between 60 to 80 percent of that budget was going to pay the cast salaries. That's that's what I think, too, because of the front end way that stuff works at Netflix, because you're not you know, this is about to get super, super like insidery for listeners, but the the way that like so many Netflix projects cost so much money is because or just streaming stuff in general costs money is because you can't get the points on it. Like someone like Owen Wilson would maybe take a smaller salary, but like I get a certain percentage of the film's gross. But if it's not going to be released in theaters, Owen Wilson might be like, I want double i want like a might up the salary he wants for that movie and so that's part of the reason why some of this stuff probably like skyrockets to such a high price tag on a platform like netflix but continue absolutely absolutely and you know it's with netflix look at what other projects they have another michael fassbender david fincher movie coming out later this year Mm -hmm. they're they're willing to pay these exuberant prices and i think there's a larger discussion here and I'm going to get on a very interesting note, so feel free to cut me off at any time. Um, there's this weird sensation that I can't help but shake of sexism. And looking at somebody like Fincher, who has a multi-picture deal with Netflix, mm-hmm. who was able to get something like Mank, an obscurest piece of Hollywood history, but then adapt a French graphic novel that nobody had heard of until people began to hear that David Fincher was adapting it. Mm-hmm. Why can't Nancy Myers get that same sort of sort of support in the way somebody like a Fincher does? Now, that's not to say, oh, Fincher and Myers are the same type of filmmaker. They aren't. But all of the ingredients are there for both of them to have their day. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you mentioned as well, I want to see a nice furnished Nancy Myers movie. I yeah. want to see a nice. Why not? Why can't Who we? Who doesn't want to see the kitchen of your dreams being occupied by? insanely famous people can i can i live vicariously through nancy of nancy meyer's kitchen where i'm michael fassbender a hundred percent but i just don't know if she's a name that netflix was comfortable giving that money to and again this is coming from a personal nancy meyer's cozy movie fan here Mm -hmm. i feel like wb is a safer choice for her since she does already have a pass with them Mm-hmm. And there's more of a would be more of a willingness on their end because let's face it, as exciting as the future of DC is, they are still in flux at the moment. They're getting pieces on the board. Give somebody like Myers a chance to bring back an old fashioned sensibility to the movie theaters. We haven't had that in ages. How many superhero movies have been released in the past ten years compared to old fashioned romantic comedies? Not that many. So. In a way, I'm I'm happy with this news because I think the film has more of a life at a studio like Warner Brothers than Netflix. 
Whereas I think Netflix is now more focused on names and star status versus actual quality in a project. So to answer your question, um, I think the film is going to have a better life in the theater. Whereas, you know, let's face it, with Netflix nowadays, you might be number one for two weeks and then you disappear into the void. Or I like see you on the queue and are like, is that a real movie? Literally. Did this come out? <laughs> literally. Literally. <laughs> well, Gabe, uh, thank you as always for for joining us on the latest uh, in the next coming weeks. Just look forward to a John Wick 4 episode because, uh, you know, I, I think Gabe and I are both just going to tease you with uh, John Wick 4 is really, really good. It's really good, and it is right up there with the raid of some of the best action I've seen in years. Yes. That's all.